Hello, welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel. I am your host to this show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story and path to the games. Not too bad, right? I get to talk to Olympic athletes multiple a week. I'm really living it. I, I'm extremely, extremely grateful for the opportunity that I've been given. So we, we, we digress. Today we have Rosie Brennan, Olympic athlete. She is in the cross-country discipline of USA skiing. Rosie's super cool. She's super sweet, super adorable, a lot of fun to talk to. She had a really great outlook. She had some awesome stories, really enjoyed just the whole conversation. So really, really excited uh, to get this one out to you guys and girls and really hope that you enjoy it. So please enjoy this episode of Our Athletes with Rosie Brennan. All right. Today, very special guest, Olympian Rosie Brennan. Olympian Rosie Brennan. That's pretty sweet intro, isn't it? Olympian Rosie Brennan, USA cross-country skiing, born December 2nd, 1988 in Salt Lake City, Utah. She started skiing at around the age of three, but didn't start competing in cross-country till the age of 14. She um, started competing in the World Cup in 2009 and was a full-time member of the circuit in 2015. She attended the 2018 Games, as I said, Olympian in uh, Pyeongchang, and she has graduated from Dartmouth all the way back in 2011, so a nice little while ago, and she has her master's degree from Alaska Pacific University and is currently in Anchorage, right? Is that where you are right now? Uh, I'm in Utah at the moment. Ah, yes, oh, I live excited. most of the time in Anchorage. Okay, okay. Currently, hometown, let's call it Anchorage. Currently in Salt Lake City, not too bad. Um, but Rosie, thanks for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. No, no, no. Pleasure is all mine, believe me. Um, so if you don't mind, I guess, you know, take us back to December 2nd, 1988 and really, uh, I guess, start the story from the beginning, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, um, I was born in Salt Lake City. Uh, I actually have a twin brother. Um, so we were both born on <laughs> December 2nd, uh, and we, um, when we were fairly young, we moved up to Park City, um, which is known for its skiing, so I guess, I guess it's not too much of a surprise that uh, we then were quickly put on our skis at a young age of, of around three, uh, and, you know, skiing, alpine skiing in particular was just kind of a weekend activity for our family. It was what we all went out and, and did. Um, and that was pretty much true for all families in Park City. That's just kind of the lifestyle here. Uh, Cross-country skiing, however, was uh, is not popular <laughs> in Park City. Why not? Uh, That's so surprising. I'm, you, got, I'm just completely stumped. Too, too addicted to the gravity, I guess. <laughs> the thin air, it makes it hard to go uphill. <laughs> it's tough. Uh, so it wasn't until much later that I kind of discovered cross-country and discovered my uh, love for the more endurance side of the sport. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I mean, I think I had, it's just uh, me and my twin brother uh, and my parents that uh, grew up in Park City, and I went to um, all the public schools through Park City High, uh, graduating, and uh, yeah, it's a great community full of outdoor enthusiasts and lots of other Olympians. Um, and it was, you know, it was hugely impactful for me to have the 2002 games here. Uh, I was in seventh grade then. We had all three weeks off of school. So, you know, we were able, you know, my parents had to work, so, but seventh grade was like a perfect age because we were independent enough. So my brother and I would get on the bus, we'd go into town, we'd try and like collect autographs from all the Olympians. You could watch the events on the big screens. And then we also were able to get tickets to events. So my parents took us to some, and then we were able to go to some uh, with the school as well. So we got to see a whole host of different events. Uh, 
and just, you know, it was just, it was such a, it was like the best three weeks. <laughs> like it's just amazing. No school. You just got to hang out, watch sporting events. Like it was perfect weather, perfect snow conditions. And, and that definitely had a huge impact on me. Uh, and, you know, after the games with all the, you know, the infrastructure had all been built for all these different sports. So we were able to try like literally any of the sports you could want. Like there were youth programs starting. So I actually, like I tried skeleton for a while. Um, and like, you know, crazy things like that, that most kids would never, ever get the opportunity to try something like that. So that was pretty cool. And, and then it was kind of after that, that I uh, narrowed down into, into cross country skiing eventually. So, yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. I don't live. So I, I'm up here in New Jersey, so I've been to Lake Placid before and I've got the opportunity to see everything that was there. I mean, you drive up the mountain and you see these just giant ski jumps and all this other cool stuff, go to the bobsled, um, and skeleton arena. And it was just so cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, growing up and, and getting the three weeks off of school, that probably helped a lot, especially in seventh grade. That's really all you ever wanted anyway. It was time yeah. off of school. So being able to go there and do all that, I could see that being hugely impactful. And it sounds like it was, and that's just, just so cool. And what a, what a amazing experience that you were able to have at such a young age, especially being around all of it, always being into the winter sports, it seemed at least on the skiing side. So what made you pare it down or, or what got you to pare it down to cross country skiing? When, when was that fateful day where you were like, aha, I figured it out. <laughs> Uh, well, unfortunately, well, I guess, for, fortunately, unfortunately, it wasn't really me, but, you know, middle schools, those are those years where, like, you're trying to figure out who you are and, like, what's going on, and there's not, I mean, there's a lot of great, like, club sports with the Alpine Ski and all this stuff in Park City, but there's no middle school, like, school sports, um, so I really, I didn't want an Alpine race, like, I don't know why, that just wasn't something that interested me, and so I just really had, like, nothing going on, and I have a lot of energy. I don't like to sit still much. So I think I was just literally driving my mother crazy. <laughs> so she was finally like, okay, I don't care what you pick, but you have to do something this winter. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. And like fall, I was playing soccer. So I was busy, but like winter, I just had nothing going on. And she's like, you should really try cross country skiing. And I'm like, well, I don't know. That doesn't look that fun either. <laughs> like going up with the hills is not that sweet. <laughs> um, and she just kept like kind of you know, suggesting it just over and over. And finally, I think I got bored enough too that I was like, okay, fine, I'll try it. Um, and it was just perfect, you know, like moms do know best. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. how it works. Yes, um, I, I know so. that. That's true. But what, <laughs> yeah. so, so, I mean, I guess, unfortunately, fortunately, as you, as you were in it before, it worked out, obviously. That's all that matters. Doesn't matter how you yeah. start, it matters how you finish, right? Yeah. But, um, so what is it about cross-country skiing? If you don't mind actually explaining, like, yes, we all know the basic, okay, you start, it's really long, and you finish, but tell us a little bit more about cross-country skiing, kind of how it differentiates from other sports, and, and, and what are some of the things and the key necessary attributes that you have to have to make sure that you're good at it, especially, you know, at the level that, I mean, being an Olympian, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah, so cross-country skiing is, I think when most people think of it, they think of, like, putting on some skis and, like, tromping through the woods like you might mm -hmm. as well just be walking but you have skis yep. on your feet because there's snow on the ground <laughs> but when you're doing it like in a race format it's much much different it's more like like I don't know uh like a NASCAR race but you're a human on skis like it's fast paced like we're not just like tromping through the woods <laughs> um we move at quite fast paces um you know we're on a groomed trail which helps and we have like you know the equipment has has a uh, improved significantly mm. like oh since, my gosh you know, yeah. my grandmas were out there tromping through the woods or whoever um so and we have two styles of techniques so there's classic which is 
kind of what most people typically think about where you're um, just moving your feet forward and back kind of as if you, as if you were running or, or walking. Um, and then there's skating, which is more like ice skating where you're going side to side a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, so we have those two styles. And then within that, there's a bunch of different events. So we do everything from a sprint, um, which is about one and a half kilometers. And you do it multiple times, like in, in heat style racing. And then the women go all the way up to 30 kilometers. Uh, and what's, I think what's really unique about cross country skiing, as opposed to say track and field, that's maybe relatable in some ways is that uh, almost all the athletes do all of it. So we all classic and skate and we all do the sprint through the 30 kilometer. Um, most people like will have special, you know, maybe you're more of a sprinter, more of a, a long distance skier, but to like win the overall world cup, you have to do all of them. Uh, so that's like a huge kind of toolkit of skills that you have to develop. Um, so it's, it's pretty unique that way. It takes a long time to, to develop those skills. Uh, and then, you know, we're moving over, over undulating terrain. So we go uphills, downhills, flats, like really whatever. And, and every course is different. Um, more like cross country running style, I guess you could think of it. Um, and so, yeah, we, most of our course, well, if you're doing a sprint, you're on a one and a half K loop. Um, otherwise we're on maybe a, a 3K or a 5K loop. Um, 5K is usually about the longest we ski. We just do laps of it. And, and yeah, it's undulating terrain. So you have to be good at, at going uphill. You need the aerobic capacity. Um, then you also need kind of the skills to, to stick with everyone on the downhills, maneuver around people, uh, and then also make speed over, over flat terrain or into a finishing stretch or, uh, and we do both individual uh, as well as a mass start format. Uh, and then we have a couple team events as well. So sometimes we're racing head to head with people. Sometimes it's just us versus the clock. Um, so it's, a, it's just, yeah, I think what's, what's attractive to a lot of people is just the number of things that are involved. So there's always something to be working on. It never gets boring, that's for sure. Mm -hmm, <laughs> um, yeah. There's so many skills, so many techniques, so many distances. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty wide encompassing sport. Uh, and and I think that makes it uh, exciting. There's every race, every time you turn on the TV and watch a race, it's something different. So. That is true. I, it's It's been explained to me before, but I always love hearing it um, from the athletes themselves because obviously you know it a little bit better than I do. Um, but it's it, the, the skating versus the, the classic was very interesting when I found that out. <laughs> Whoa, sorry about that. Um, for you though, specifically, what is your favorite or what is your best of all these different you know, different little events that you've got going. What's, what's the one that you is, you really consider your bread and butter? Uh, I like classic middle distance races. So 10 K 15 K in there. Uh, that's, yeah, that's really kind of my, that's just my jam, I guess, but mostly all classic races. Mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy classic skiing as opposed to the skating, uh, but yeah. <laughs> hey, teach is own, man. As long as you enjoy it, right? We only get to do this thing once. You might as well enjoy what you're doing. Um, so very cool. Thank you so much for that. So when um, you were 14, when you started and, and before you and I spoke, you even said like, that is pretty unique to get into something like this at such as, I mean, it's weird to say at such an old age um, at 14. So what, what were some of the challenges that you had coming in and realizing people have been doing this for what, you know, four or five, six years at this point? Yeah, um, I mean, it certainly, it, it was great because I, 
I had to catch up. So I was like, it just immediately gave me this massive work list. And I just really loved the sport. So I wanted to get better at everything. So I just started like chipping away at things. But I definitely think um, where I notice it the most is just in my like skill sets. Uh, I just think I'm not as comfortable on my skis as somebody that's been doing it since they were four years old. Um, so I really noticed that kind of like when downhills get really technical and things like that, you know, and like everyone's like, oh, well, you alpine, like, you know, I'll go alpine skiing with people and they're like, well, you're fine on like on your alpine skis. Like, why is it so different? Um, but cross country skis are very different. They're narrow, they're skinny, they don't have metal edges. Um, so how you how you navigate a corner on a cross country ski is very different than how you would navigate it on a pair of alpine skis. Um, so I definitely think I still am even a little bit behind in, in kind of that area. And that was that's been my biggest struggle with um, mm-hmm. starting at, at a late age. And there's a handful of us that started late and we kind of all share that, which is why, I, you know, it's okay. This kind of makes sense. Like we all <laughs> struggle in these certain areas, um, particularly like technical downhills and things like that. Just, you know, when you're little and you don't, you have no fears and you're hucking yourself on jumps and everything else is much easier to develop that comfort on skis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always one thing I've heard too. When you, when you start a little bit older, um, and and you get a good coach that knows what they're doing and you you have the talent clearly you have the raw talent they can kind of teach you all the things not to do right like Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you are taught the exact correct way from the start rather than having habits and having things that you've been doing wrong essentially um for the last few years so i think that that's always you know a little silver lining it's good sometimes it works i mean clearly it worked for you again let's not forget yeah. you were just at the Olympics what, like eight months ago. Um, so I think that that is pretty, pretty incredible. So your first world cup events starting in 2009, what were those like and how much of a validation was that for you to realize like, okay, maybe you're not completely on the circuit for every single event, but at the same time you're there, you're racing against the other best racers in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that event was uh, in uh, Whistler. Actually, it was like the world cup before the uh, 2010 Olympics. Uh, they always have to have like a test event. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, whenever there's a World Cup in North America, uh, we get what's called a nations group. So in most World Cups, like there's a set number of start spots for each country. Uh, and when you have a home World Cup, so for us, that's all of North America, we get a few extra start spots. Uh, and that's considered a nations group. So there's always more opportunity for developing athletes to race when there's a World Cup that comes to North America. Unfortunately for us, that's very rare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's just not a huge sport over here. So that was one of those opportunities. Um, so, you know, they took some of the younger athletes and we were able to race race in some of those. So I had a Canada has been much better at hosting World Cups. The U.S. hasn't hosted any, <laughs> um, but Canada has had a, a few. So uh, I've been you know, through those years when I was developing on the world, like into the world cup, it was mostly um, those kinds of situations where we were racing in Canada and had a few extra start spots. Um, But that's a huge opportunity because you get to see what that level is, know like where your weaknesses are, what you need to work on uh, and kind of, you know, motivate you to keep going and keep trying and and figure out what's, what's next. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, so I think, yeah, I think, you know, being able to race on the world cup was certainly you know, motivation for me, uh, and and certainly allowed me to feel like that was something that was reasonable to achieve, like that I that I could be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you were there whether it was because of uh, 
that little extra reason or not. I mean, clearly you were, you were one of the better ones. You got selected, you know, let's remember that it's there. There's other people that could have been selected, but you uh, luckily and thankfully were the one that was selected. And I think that that is super, super cool. Um, and you brought up a point that I actually want to dive into for a little bit. Um, it, cross country skiing isn't big here at all, but I have been told that it's pretty big over in Europe. Correct. So what, um, how, what, what is that dynamic like? I mean, obviously, with you being on the World Cup and the circuit, I mean, you've been doing that for a few years now. What is it like going to some of these places and realizing of how big the sport is there? And then you come back here and kind of realize it's not paid attention to nearly as much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge sport in Europe, particularly in Scandinavia. Uh, when we race in, in Oslo, for example, uh, the, there's often 100,000 spectators at a race. Wow. Um, so that's, you know, Super Bowl level there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we have world championships of events that are in Scandinavia, it's, you know, between 50 and 100,000 spectators at every event. Um, so that's the kind of like, I guess, arena that, that we race in for much of the year, uh, which is amazing. You know, you, you feel like probably what NFL players feel mm-hmm. like every day. <laughs> but um, That's really cool. And Central Europe, um, it's kind of hit or miss. Some places it's popular and some places it's not. Um, it's quite popular in Russia. Um, and yeah, then there's a few other sporadic mm-hmm. places around the world. Um, and yeah, like I said, Canada has hosted a handful of World Cups. Uh, they've put a little more into it. The U.S. has not so much, except for the best, the most exciting news I can tell you is that we're having a cross-country World Cup in Minneapolis next winter. <laughs> All right, let's go. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that's like the first time in, I don't know, 20-some years that they've had a World Cup in the U.S. So that's really exciting for, for oh, all of us. That is awesome. Um, Get geared up for that but, one. That's great. Yeah, exactly. It's good motivation to keep going. Um, but, uh, you know, in the U.S., there's certain nodes. So like Minneapolis is kind of a node where it's pretty popular and, and Anchorage is another one. And so I think a lot of us kind of uh, are attracted to those mm-hmm. places to live and train just because people care what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. You know, they cheer you on on the road instead of trying to run you over or whatever. Like, what are these people doing? Um, so, you know, there's a couple nodes in the U.S., but it's certainly, I mean, it's frustrating because it's hard, it's hard to get funding. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to find sponsors. It's hard for teams to operate. Um, it's hard to get the infrastructure you need for good training. Um, it, it makes immense amount of challenge, you know, like, and, and it makes it difficult to compete against the best in the world. So, you know, Norway's budget is around $11 million and our budget is three quarters of a million dollars. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, okay. So like you can imagine the just, you know, we're already like before we even hit the start line, we're facing, you know, way different challenges than mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certainly is challenging. But I think something that our team has really made a good point of doing is to not let that like hinder your confidence or your belief um, to still believe that we can compete against them, you know, with or without that big uh, dollar sign mm-hmm. <laughs> next to your budget. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, I think it, it motivates us in some ways and it's frustrating in other ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, chip on your shoulder kind of stuff is, you know, you go out there and beat one of them. Uh, clearly that means you have the talent, which is important. Um, so I think that that is, yeah, that can be very frustrating and I can see that being kind of a, a double-edged sword, I guess. So that's, that's one way to look at it. But, um, Another thing that you've done, I don't think we've mentioned it enough so far, but you qualified and attended the 2018 games, the first one that you were able to qualify and attend. How incredible was that? And what, what was the whole, I guess, how does qualifying work? Let's start with that so people can understand exactly how you got there. Because sometimes I just turn on the TV and it turns out 
there's four people in a race. And I say, okay, cool. I'm rooting for these four. But how do you qualify? How did you get there? And then, you know, we can go further into that question after. Yeah, so qualifying for us is about a year-long process, or like a season-long process. Um, there's not like specific trials or anything, um, but it's determined off, you know, points that you accumulate on the World Cup circuit, uh, and then additional starts or spots will be awarded to people racing just in the domestic circuit if there's more uh, spots available. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was able to qualify through the World Cup circuit last year. Um, through you know every time we race a world cup we get points for whatever place we were and you accumulate them over time um and so we had to have a certain number of points uh in a given time frame Mm -hmm. so i qualified that way um however qualifying for the olympic team doesn't actually guarantee you that you will race um so you know they named it a team and then um each race you get four people uh four starts uh for each race so uh our women's team is quite competitive so that's um it's probably easier to make the team than it is to actually race. <laughs> so then uh, to get the start spot, um, that's totally up to the coaches. So, you know, the coaches meet and look at, you know, the results you've had this far in the year, who they kind of feel is coming up in their fitness versus maybe going down and where they think people are at. And then they make their best decision. And um, depending on the race, sometimes you find out as late as the night before um, that you'll be starting. Um, mm-hmm. So it can be a, a stressful, stressful time period. And, and for cross country, because um, there's so many events, we actually like the women race the first day of the games and the last day of the games, which is a three week time period. So it's for us, it's incredibly important to be able to hold focus for three weeks because you don't know if you will be starting or not. So you always have to be ready for for what's ever coming. So um, it's a big event and it's and it's uh, very challenging to have that kind of focus and to be ready to give your best performance when you, when you get the nod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a very odd schedule. I'm kind of curious. Um, I don't know if you know the answer, but what, why would they have such a gap between the the days that you race? I don't understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I have a great uh-huh. answer for you. I mean, we have to share the stadium with um, like Nordic combined. Mm-hmm. Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think a lot of it just has to do with TV schedules. That usually seems to what dictates when we race yep. and what day and what time <laughs> um, for better sense. or worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, maybe they find, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, probably no, something no. to do with the TV. <laughs> yeah. It probably has something to do with TV. I can completely understand that. Um, so with your quote unquote normal events, potentially drawing upwards of a hundred thousand people, what was it then like going to the Olympics? Cause it, didn't look like there was a hundred thousand people watching <laughs> no, you there. Were, there so definitely weren't a hundred thousand. What what is that like? And and kind of, I mean, obviously on TV though, we're talking you know millions and millions of people. Right. Watching. That's not right. even a question. But like, what compare and contrast that a little bit for us because that does seem like a huge. You know, it's one of the biggest events for every sport mm-hmm. around the world. And then for you guys, it's like, well, there was like three thousand people there. We're used to a hundred thousand. This isn't a problem at all. Yeah. So, so I guess talk to that point a little bit if you don't mind. It's definitely an uh, interesting feeling. I mean, you pretty much nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> you're used to these big events and then you go go to what's supposed to be the biggest event of your life and there's maybe not so much. And a lot of it, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of it had to do with maybe how they had set up security as well. So, you know, our courses are, are long. Like our Olympic course, the loops were about uh, 3.75 kilometers. Um, so we're coming through the stadium, you know, fairly frequently, but like, you know, we're still out there for a while. And I think 
my guess is for security reasons, they didn't uh, allow people out onto the course, spectators, um, which is pretty unique. Um, in most of our World Cup races, there's various spots around the course that spectators can watch from. Uh, so that was probably the weirdest thing is like, the, you know, the stadium had was pretty full of people uh, and was very loud. So you'd come into the stadium and you'd like feel like you're in this big race and then you'd go out and you're like, you know, a couple of coaches would be out there giving you a split or something. And you're like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what just cruising along South Korea golf course here, like minding my own business. But, so that was, that was kind of an interesting thing, but you know, it was, it also like you get reminded really quickly of the number of people that are actually watching. Cause you know, I'd have people that I hadn't talked to in 15 years be like texting me or emailing me being like, Oh my God, I just saw you in this race or like, you know, something like that. Um, so then you'd be quickly reminded like, Oh wow, this is a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it obviously is a huge deal, but did, did the, did the immediate effect of like not having as many people there, did that detract from it at all? Or was it still just as an amazing as you kind of, I guess, dreamed about? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it detracted from it. I mean, it definitely is more fun the more people mm. that are out there. Oh, I'm, of know? course, everywhere, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you still, you know, you're wearing a different suit. You got a different bib on. Like, you still feel like, you know, you're at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you're living in the village and everything. So it's definitely a, a different feel than any other race you do. Absolutely. Um, As it should be, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you don't mind... Talk to like what what was the race like? How did you do? How did you finish compared to where you wanted to? Obviously, everyone wants to win a gold medal naturally, but you know what what was the actual race like? And how how fulfilled? How excited were you after when you did finish and, and realized that you just completed the Olympics and you raced in it and you're one of the greatest athletes in the world? Yeah. So, well, <laughs> I had a kind of interesting experience. Um, I started. So we had we had been racing World Cup since. I don't know, mid, mid November, I guess, um, up until the games. Um, and I had a great start to the season, uh, all the way through Christmas, like best results I'd ever had. So I was, you know, super optimistic, like this is my year. Uh, and right around after Christmas, I started just feeling really bad, <laughs> um, and kept, you know, just trying to race through it and rest and figure out what was going on. And, uh, but just was feeling like, you know, something's not right. Like I, I don't, my body's not working the way it should. And, you know, we're like probably hyper attuned to every part of our body because we, we rely on it so much and we work with it every day. So it's always hard, you know, if you tell, you know, I might tell a doctor, like, I don't know, like my body's not cooperating. I don't feel strong. And they, you know, they check everything and you're like, you're the healthiest person there is, you know, like there's nothing wrong with you, but I'm like, no, no, no. Like there, mm -hmm. you know, it's not right. Like something's not right. Um, and so I eventually like, you know, we were three weeks out from the Olympics and I finally was like, okay, th this is like something's going on. So I met with a doctor and I went and got, you know, some blood tests. We were in Austria training and tried to see, you know, if there was something going on and kind of seemed like maybe I was fighting a virus, um, but it was hard to tell from my blood numbers. And so we, j and it's a virus. So there, you know, there's not really anything you can do about that. So the plan was just, you know, rest, like, take care of myself and hopefully things turn around uh, in time for the game. So I kind of went with that approach and uh, I sat out a race and then still, I don't know, things weren't quite going that well, but you know, at that point, like I know I'm, I've made the team, like I have to just try and put everything aside and like, be like, you're good. You're rested. Like you're going to just 
everything's going to come together. Um, and so fortunately, I still I still was able to get a start for the first race. So that was kind of going to be my test, like if I was going to be able to race more. Um, and it was honestly the worst race I've ever had in my life. <laughs> um, it was like, the, the so the experience I guess I was having um, is I'd feel like quite good for, you know, two or three K of the race. And then like something would just happen. And I just would start having like an out of body experience um, where like I like I feel like I'm going really fast, but I'm getting like passed by tons of people. And like my body just has no response. Um, and it's just like an awful feeling to have in a race, <laughs> as anyone can imagine. Uh, and the Olympics was the same thing. And it was a 15K, which is like fairly long. So, you know, I'm thinking like, well, I'm just going to keep going. Like, and if my body's really going to give out on me, like it will give out and someone will pull me off the course. I don't know what's going to happen. But like, whatever, just like it's the Olympics, you have to finish. So <laughs> I dragged myself around the course. I finished the race. Um, feeling awful. Um, and then, um, yeah, went through the rest of the games hoping, you know, still hoping like, well, maybe, you know, three weeks long, so you can turn yourself around in three mm -hmm. weeks time. So I was still thinking like, you know, maybe I can like rest this out, turn it around and be ready for like the last race of the game, uh, which was a 30 K classic, which is something that also I was targeting. Um, so I tried to stay focused and, you know, do everything I could to like get healthy and, whatever rested and and feel myself again um and then i didn't they the team decided that it wasn't they didn't want to take a chance on me and so i didn't get that start anyhow um and so then after the like you know retrospect <laughs> much after the games i came home after a long season still just never quite finding myself uh and went to another doctor at home and tried to sort everything out and it turned out that i had had mono the whole time <laughs> Um, which, you know, is nice because you're like, okay, mm -hmm. I like I was right. There was something wrong with me. It, it gave me reason, but it also was like, really? Like, seriously, like, how did I survive all of college and not get mono? Mm -hmm. Here yeah. I am at 29 at the Olympics and I have mono. So, oh so my it, gosh. It was a rough experience for me, mm -hmm. I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can I can understand. I mean, again, you worked so hard for so long for, for something like this. And, you know, again, thankfully that with your sport there, obviously this is one of the biggest events, especially, you know, talking to an American would be considered, but at the same time, um, you know, that you, there is a lot more in your sport that you are still able to get fulfillment out of something like that. But yeah, that's true. You made it through all the way through college and didn't get mono once. And now <laughs> yeah. right before the Olympic games, they're like, yeah, yeah, this is a good time. This is a good time. So <laughs> yeah. that, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, still thank you for gutting it out and doing what you can do and, and clearly yes it's it's nice to know that what was wrong we can get over and everything's okay thankfully it wasn't anything more serious um but it, it's it's very unfortunate timing is everything of course as we know um and it just was not was not the correct timing but you know i hear there's another olympic games coming up in a couple of years so maybe uh maybe <laughs> yeah. that work itself out so um yeah so congratulations again. Thank you so much for competing. Thank you so much for representing us and doing it while sick. I can't do anything when I'm sick, man. So like if I have a headache, I'm totally out of commission for the day. So you clearly are, are a true athlete, elite athlete. You're clearly doing something right. But um, one thing I do want to talk about a little bit, and, and I know I don't want to keep you all day, but I definitely want to learn a little bit more, is the monetary aspect of your sport specifically. Is, is this something that, considering, again, it is, relatively big in Europe. You do have your, your Super Bowl over there. So is, is this something that you can make a comfortable living and move forward with? Or is this one of the sports that is just unfortunately kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place? Uh, it's very challenging. <laughs> um, you know, I think maybe the one or two 
best in our nation um, that have had like really high international success, Olympic medals and things, uh, make a decent living. Um, the rest of us, uh, eek by. <laughs> uh, everyone has kind of developed their own uh, creative way to fund uh, through whether it's through local sponsors or grants or uh, things like that, but it definitely you definitely take a crash course in business management <laughs> as a cross country skier, uh, which. I never imagined I would do, <laughs> and I'm quite certain I don't want to go into fundraising after this, <laughs> but, um, um, but yeah, it's super challenging. It's, you know, I can be, I mean, being a European sport is a huge, uh, challenge because I mean, one, uh, you know, Americans aren't as interested, but two, uh, we're traveling so much, which is expensive. So, you know, we leave mid November and we're in Europe all the way until the end of March. Um, so you're living on the road uh, and Europe's expensive um, most places. So it's about $125 a day for room and board on the World Cup. They they try to make a flat rate so hotels can't gouge you, which is which is nice. But I mean, $125 a day is exactly a steal. <laughs> You'd hit my so, rent uh, in about like five days. So yeah, I, I, yeah. So yeah I, could, I could see that being pretty difficult. And, and on the sponsorship side, how do you personally go out and try and find companies do you go out in companies in europe do you try and find companies here how exactly does that side of it work because clearly i mean you need uh, some sort of funding coming in right right uh, my approach I, i've tried to go more local um just because you know your local community can see the impact you can have mm -hmm. and, and why it might be beneficial um there i don't know if anyone on our team has a european sponsor but um, there's definitely some people that have bigger companies that mm. uh, encompass a little more than just their local area, uh, especially as they, as you achieve more success, um, mm -hmm. that's possible. Um, but it's really, I mean, I think, well, everyone should, should strive to have cross country skiers in their community because, you know, because we're like always looking for, for funding and stuff. We're huge. We're all hugely involved in our communities, um, you know, putting on events for kids, um, being spokespeople for various uh, organizations. We all volunteer our time in uh, a bunch of different organizations and, and are, are quite involved in our community in hopes that our, our community will, will help us back. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that's how most of us have approached it, um, which, I mean, is great because, you know, it's, it's great to be involved in your community and, Absolutely. and have that impact and inspire the next generation. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely is challenging and it's definitely, I think it's probably one of the biggest uh, barriers to want to continue racing is just mm -hmm. you get so tired of like always trying to figure out how to make everything work on a budget and like do the training you need to and like tired of asking people for money and help and uh, it gets exhausting <laughs> but, yeah um, I mean that's you have a full-time job on top of your full-time training and travel schedule essentially because yeah yeah you know exactly, i mean yeah. fundraising isn't something where you pick up the phone and after three phone calls it's like oh cool here here's 10 grand exactly. that's not really how it works it's it's a no. long arduous process that you have to go through and i mean essentially you're a salesman you know you're selling yeah. Yeah. yourself uh, for back lack of a better term to 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 companies yeah. and showing them how you can represent them at such a high level and i mean that's there's people's that that's their job, literally. So, I mean, you know, yeah, you have yeah. a full-time job on top of your full-time job. So hopefully someone hears this. Do you have like GoFundMe or anything along those lines that you can shout to me that we can put in the show notes? That way people, you know, have the opportunity potentially to give you a, give you a couple dollars. I mean, 125 bucks a night, that's pretty expensive. And that doesn't sound <laughs> yeah. like it includes food or anything, right? 
Yeah. Uh, no, that's room and board. Yeah. Oh, okay. It doesn't include, okay. it doesn't include airfare. So we still have to fly mm-hmm. around to Europe and then around Europe. Yeah. 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 That's also not cheap though. Airfare is obviously yeah. pretty expensive. So that is very, I mean, it's, it's frustrating from my standpoint. I can only imagine what it's like from your standpoint, being in the sport, doing everything, sacrificing all this time to represent us and not really, um, not really getting much back in return. It's, it's, it's pretty disappointing. And hopefully that's something that let's change the world. Right, Rosie? Let's yeah. just change the world. Let's see how it happens. So, um, yeah. so my next question then is life after your sport. I, I know you um, – I have teacher in my notes because I think you're an education major, if I'm not mistaken, or, or you did something with education. Uh, my, that your my undergrad was in uh, geography, uh, but my master's was education. Okay, cool. So you're a master of education. I love that. We need more people like you on planet Earth. <laughs> so, so what is well, – I guess – and I'm not trying to kick you out of the sport early. We're hoping 2022 rolls around and you'll be there again and no mono, totally great, ready to roll. <laughs> but um, it, honest – Honestly, I mean, everyone knows you're, as an athlete, your career comes to an end, I mean, relatively early in your life, you know, 30, 31, yeah. 35, you still have half your life to live, but unfortunately, you can't do the thing that you love, um, or at least you can't do the sport that you love anymore. So what is, what's the post-career career for Rosie? What, what is something that you're looking for, looking towards that you kind of see as, as, as the next way to give back to your community or, or really to enjoy um, everything moving forward? Yeah, um... I'm, uh, I guess, a nerd. <laughs> I <Awesome>. love school. <laughs> so um, uh, I'm looking at going back to school. I actually started looking into uh, various PhD programs uh, in fluvial geomorphology, <laughs> of all things, which is basically studying rivers. <laughs> okay. I was going to um, say, I have no idea what that means. So very cool. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the, ge- I guess, uh, my undergrad in geography was more physical geography. So mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And uh, I still have, I guess, some unfinished business there. So I, my plan is to go back to school uh, at some point in the near future uh, and study some of that stuff. Very cool. And um, so one thing I actually just totally, I mean, I didn't gloss over, but it's definitely worth it to bring up again. You went to Dartmouth. Dartmouth is over yeah. here in my part of the woods, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So what made you actually come across the country to, I mean, obviously it's an amazing school. Ivy League is Ivy League, right? We're not going to mess around. <laughs> but what made you go to Dartmouth? What, what about it up here in the Northeast? I mean, it's still cold, I guess. So there's that. But, but <laughs> yeah. um, um, is Dartmouth that a place has... you're looking for your PhD too? Because I hear that would be a pretty sweet thing to put on a resume. <laughs> It's it's not. I, I'm, uh, I'm a Western girl at heart. I won't lie. <laughs> I respect but, um, that. Uh, I, Dartmouth actually has a, a huge uh, skiing history and tradition there. As one of the first, I mean, they had a ski team before the, our country had a ski team. Um, it was one of the first teams in, in the U.S. period. Um, so they have this long-standing tradition there of, of uh, skiing. Um, so it was always, I guess, a little bit on my radar. My mom's family is actually from New England, so I wasn't totally foreign to New England. I've spent some time there uh, and was, was familiar with the area. So, I mean, when I was looking at undergrad school, it was, you know, all about skiing. It, the place had to have a, have, had to have a good ski team, um, which honestly helps because there's not that many schools. It really narrows it down for you. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> true. What is it, a handful, maybe <laughs> 10, 12? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I met, I met with some coaches and, and um, Dartmouth was, a, it's a great place because, um, because it's in the Ivy League and they don't do athletic scholarships, uh, the pressures on the coaches for NCAA performances are much less. 
um, than like a Pac-12 school, um, like Colorado or Utah or big schools out west. So um, as a result, you can your coaches can help you much more in terms of just long-term development. Um, so, you know, I went in knowing that I wanted to ski post-college. Like, you know, I, I, had, I wanted to do Olympics, World Championships, all those things. Um, so to work with a coach that could help me in that long-term goal um, was hugely beneficial. And so Dartmouth just really, really fit that, that kind of niche. And then, um, you know, skiing, I'm sure – helped me uh, in my acceptance as well. And I felt like I couldn't turn down an opportunity like that. Um, you know, I should take advantage of, of my, of what skiing can bring me. Yeah. Um, so that was how I ended up there. And, and it was great. The team was great. We had a handful of girls um, that are still on the team with me today uh, and are also Olympians and national team members. Um, and so we were all working together at Dartmouth. So we had a good, good, strong group there um, pushed each other a lot and we had you know good coaches that wanted to help us um, so we were able to you know, you know skip college races to go race world juniors and uh, big events like that as we were going through college uh, so it was a nice way to yeah keep developing uh, without the pressures of you know you have to win NCAAs or a school loses all the funding or you know whatever pressures those big NCAA schools face so, so yeah it was, a, it was a great experience. That and of course it was an Ivy League school, as we as as you alluded to. I mean, it, it, skiing was able to bring you to a place like that. I mean, you have to take advantage because you never know. Um, unfortunately, with athletes, you know, one wrong turn can 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 be some brutal brutal honesty and brut, brutal uh, yeah. takedown. So having that again on your resume, not that bad, not that bad at all. Yeah. So awesome. I definitely wanted to bring that up. So Rosie. That's about it for me. Thank you so much for your time. I sincerely appreciate it. Rosie Brennan, 2018 Olympian, USA cross-country skiing, master of education, soon to be doctor. I'll cross our fingers for you. I'm sure you'll get it. I'm sure in the next couple of years we can call you Dr. Rosie. It's kind of nice ring too. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. I sincerely appreciate it today. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Rosie. Um, as I said, she was super sweet, super cute, awesome conversation to have. Um, just an all-around great person. I really hope you guys and girls enjoyed that and really got to feel that and really understand some of the craziness she's already been through. So I think it's been a lot of fun. But if you don't mind, please follow us at ourathletes.us. Please follow Rosie on all her socials, which are in the show notes. Please give our website a holler. Um, pretty bare, but it'll get better, I promise. www.ourathletes.us. And um, yeah, please rate, comment, subscribe, sub, sub, subscribe share. There we go. Um, and just tell more people about it. Cause I, uh, I really want this to be an amazing show. I'm going to keep doing it whether people listen or not, but I think, um, the stories are way too good for only a few hundred people to be listening to each of these episodes. So thank you guys again. Thank you guys and girls again, sincerely appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful day.